We've been looking at doctrines, uh, and uh, last week we looked at Revelation, the doctrine of Revelation, and so we'll continue that. Uh, We saw last week the authority of God's Word. Uh, We also saw that the Word of God is the Word of God. And we saw also uh, the three authorities, the spiritual authority, the spiritual authority being that it's the basis on which uh, it calls sinners to repentance. And then we also saw the moral authority. It tells you rightly what is right and what is wrong. It tells us about morality and ethics. Uh, we also saw the functional authority. Uh, as we read in First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, by his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his excellent, uh, to his own glory and excellence. Right, so uh, we'll continue that thought, and even our statement of faith that says we believe the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament are inspired word of God, inerrant in the in, inerrant in the original writings, complete as a revelation of God's will for salvation, and the supreme and final authority in all matters to which they speak. So we believe that the word of God is is complete, is a revelation of God. It's God breathed. It's infallible, it's inspired, it's profitable, it's sufficient. So we touched on that last time. And the question that we have uh, before us this morning is, so what? So what? How does that really apply to us? And, And so what I'd like to do is to turn your attention to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And, um, and I want to title today's, um, Sermon as in keeping of them is great reward. And I picked that from verse 11. So Psalm 19, as I read that, can I encourage you to please rise with me as we read through Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. A day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of heavens to and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, and than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of God. Father, we come to you and as we look to your word, we pray that you would speak to us. 
we are reminded of those disciples on the way to Emmaus, and we read that you open the eyes so that they can understand the scriptures. And we pray this morning, this afternoon, that'll be uh, uh, an answer prayer for us too. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, please be seated. So, in keeping of them is great reward. We said, you know, loving the word of God enough so that we will keep the word of God. And uh, so implicit in that is if you, if you say that we love God, we have to love his word. And not just that, we have to keep God's word. We are thankful for God's word, aren't we? We teach our children, um, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's from the Bible that I get to know that Jesus loves me. It's God's love letter to me. As I read this, it's God's love letter. And so as I, uh, as I look and read this, it helps me understand not just the theology, but also how to live it. It, it makes theology proper into theology practical. Okay, and so this, this book, as we will see, the question we want to ask ourselves is, so what? Right? So we looked at Psalm 19, and Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm about the Word of God. There are other psalms, Psalm 119 as another example. C.S. Lewis had this to say, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. It's like David is writing a love letter on the love letter of God, which is God's word. Are you with me on that? It's like he's writing a love letter in reply to the love letter that God has given. That is Psalm 19. And, and, and so how do we divide these into chapters? What are the chapter divisions? There are three ways you can divide these, okay? So the one of that is um, from verse 1 to verse 6, it talks about creation. And then verse 7 to verse 9, it talks about conscience. And then, um, uh, sorry, uh, commandments. And then uh, from verse 10 to verse 14, it talks about conscience, uh, you, you will see that in, in Revelation, as we will see, uh, we're talking about Revelation, that God uses various modes. And through history, he used, he used creation, he used conscience, he used commandments, and then finally Christ, who is our final revelation. All right, so uh, we will see those four here in, in, in some measure. Uh, or you can divide it as skies, scriptures, and soul. But today what we want to do, we want to see revelation, reward, and response. Okay, verse 1 to verse 9 is revelation. We'll touch on that. And then we look at the reward. We want to ask what happens as we, what happens because of the revelation. Verse 10 to verse 11 is reward. And then we have the response, which is verse 12 to verse 14. And um, so I want you to keep that at the back of your mind as we start looking at these. All right, so let's look at the first part, the first part, which is Revelation, and that's verse 1 to verse 9. When we talk about Revelation, you must understand that he's revealing not just information uh, about himself, but he's revealing himself. There's a difference, and that is what we want to say. We're not just learning about God, but that we, that we learn of him in, the, in that there is a relationship that he invites us into, and that's that's the joy of relation, uh, revelation. 
Uh, there are three parts, and we won't touch into that, but really, when you look, about, uh, look at, uh, when we talk uh, in the doctrine of revelation, there are three parts that they usually talk about. The first is the revelation, then you have the uh, inspiration, and the third, you have the illumination. The revelation is God revealing to us, and then you have the inspiration, which is the actual written part, and then the illumination is when you actually start to read it, God, the Holy Spirit, uh, speaking to us and making us understand that. So we're looking today just about Revelation, all right? So I want you to understand that it's just one chunk that we're covering, all right? So, so that's what Revelation is. Now, so the question you would ask me is, what is Revelation? How do you understand Revelation? Will you ask me that? Okay. So Revelation, what is Revelation? I want you to think of, you know, let's say you have a 2020 vision. You have the best 2020 vision. I want you to think of being Solomon when it comes to eyesight. Never has been a man existed before you and never will be after you. You got the best eyesight. But then we take you and put you in a dark room. You're as blind as the rest of us. So in Revelation, what God does is he throws light in revealing to us God. That's revelation. Revealing. Re- revealing is exposing and showing through light. And so that is what we see. God, it says, God who uh, commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in our light to, see, to, to cause the knowledge of God and uh, knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So revelation reveals to us uh, God. All right. Uh, Holman says this, Revelation is God's manifestation of himself to human, uh, humankind in such a way that men and women can know and fellowship with him. So when we look at the psalm, just as a way of introduction, I wanted to say that when you read the psalm, you will see that God has written two books. One is the book of nature, which is creation. And then the other is the book of nurture, if you would, which is the word of God. And this is what uh, C.H. Spurgeon had to say. And these two that we said, the, the, the book of nature and the book of nurture, uh, the scholars would call it the two revelation. One is the general revelation, and the second is the special revelation. The general revelation and creation, and then you have the special revelation, which one of that is the word of God. We will touch on that, but just so that you would know. But let me tell you what C.S. Spurgeon says. He says he is the wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them my father wrote them both. So you look at creation, or you start to read God's word, have that pride in you that it was my father who wrote that book. That's what Spurgeon is saying. All right, so what's happening in the first six verses of the psalm that we looked at is the general revelation. The general revelation as we see God revealing himself to us in creation. So verse 1 It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. It talks about the vastness of his glory. Uh, You know, there's no end to heavens uh, as science can find it. And yet when Solomon builds the temple and he, um, uh, you know, consecrates it, this is what he says in 1 Kings 8, 21. He says, behold, heaven and highest heavens cannot continue. And so we see the the uh, 
the heavens declare the glory of God and sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then we get to verse 2. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's this 24-7 constancy of praise, unending praise as it were. This is what uh, author had to say, the labor of these, our instructors, knows no break, like the two parts of a choir chanting forth alternatively the praises of God. Constantly, constantly, God has been praised. And then we get to verse 3. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The evidence of God is clear. That is what he says. I mean, it's there all over. And this, the echo of this truth is what we read in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 20, which says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly manifest through the things that have been made, that is a creation, so that they are without excuse. So that you, you look at creation, God is saying that, that the invisible things, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature are clearly manifest that they are without excuse. That's a revelation of God indeed. And so uh, the, the beauty of general revelation is that that it is possible to see, uh, look at creation and know that there is a designer and that they are without excuse. And you get to verse 4. It says, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And as you uh, read through, um, you know, the 3 and 4 and 5, you'll, you'll see that the evidence of God is not just clear, but that it's easily understood. And I'll tell you why. Uh, as you come to the latter part of 6, it says there's nothing hidden from its heat. Nothing hidden from its heat. This is what Helen Keller had to say. The only thing worse than being blind is having a sight but no vision. And uh, Spurgeon again adds to this and says, The blind at least enjoy the warmth of the sun, though they see it not. Woe to the one who rejects the revelation of God entirely, though uh, and they are without excuse. The psalmist is telling us this. The people who look at creation and say that, oh, things happen on its own, they are without excuse. And that, and that, that is a revelation of God. But that's general revelation. All right? I want, I want our, our, our theme for today is about the scripture. But I want to touch that. And I want to say two things about the general revelation. One is that... Uh, General, general revelation is insufficient. Why is it insufficient? Because, you see, just knowing that God exists doesn't really help us. It needs us, we need to move further on and in the special ways when we get to understand, when God reveals to us specially, uniquely, is when we get to know that this God is a God who we, we can have a relationship with. And so you will see that this, this revelation, this general revelation, is also a progressive re revelation. It's part of a progressive revelation. God doesn't just stop by saying, look at the creation, know that I'm there, and just stop there. But he takes us from there, and he continues on to reveal to us in a special way who he is. 
And that's what the psalm is doing. See the jump from verse 6 to verse 7. Let me read that to you again. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and the circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's just a jump. The psalmist is moving from the general to the special, from information to the intimate, from the panoramic to the personal, from a recognition of the divine to the reconciliation with the divine. There's there's a crescendo. There's something uh, transformational that is happening as you move from that verse 6 into verse 7. I don't want us to miss that. You see... When you read that is when we we realize we are uniquely privileged because to no one else in this creation is this word of God given except to humankind. And by doing that, God is inviting us in this unique way to draw to that relationship with him. The word of God. And so, we... We, our focus, therefore, being seven to downwards, talking about scripture. I want to read this to you, what the Westminster Confession of Faith has to say uh, uh, about the special revelation. It says, general revelation, whether immediate or mediate, is directed to all men. It is, however, not sufficient to give that knowledge of God of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. In times past, before the completion of scripture, God revealed his redemptive work through the prophets by means of dreams and visions and theophanies. But now, special revelation has received its permanent form in the scripture of Old and New Testament. What the confession is trying to say is this, that that creation as a revelation is not sufficient on its own. And so God reveals, even in the Old Testament, in special ways through visions and through dreams and through prophets. But now, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, 1 to 3, we read that now we have this complete revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that having known that, we don't need any other kind of revelation. We have it all complete, and we find that completion in the scripture. I I want to, what I'm trying to do is build in your mind this book, which is the, the, uh, the number one seller uh, for, for many years, and yet probably the least read by us Christians. We don't realize how precious, how precious this word is, revealing to us who Christ himself is. I want you to notice also what happens from that jump in the first part of the psalm to the second part of the psalm. In the use of the name of God, in the first verse 1 to verse 6, the name of God used is El, not even Elohim, which is the generic name of God. El is even more generic than Elohim. And yet when you get to verse 7 and you come down, you see the covenantal name of God, the Lord Jehovah. That he is the God who who comes into a relationship with us. 
who enters into a covenant with us. The, the, the jump there the, is the crescendo of relationship that we, the, that we can, you know, we can enjoy with us, God. Not just as a creator, but as our redeemer, savior, beloved, and we'll see that as we get done to the bottom of the psalm. And so what the psalmist does here is he gives seven descriptions. He gives six, six descriptions of the word of God. The word of God is, has six different names that he gives. And for those six different names, there are seven descriptions. So we want to quickly spend some time looking at those descriptions and try and see how is it that we can understand this and apply this to ourselves. All right, so... Uh, look with me to, uh, at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. David says, your word is perfect. Perfect for it needs no tweaking. Perfect because it's right for it, my every need. Perfect for it's what my soul needs. Because it converts my soul. God's word is not just informational, it's transformational. And we need to understand that. It converts my soul. It revives my soul, the psalmist says. You read this and you come, there are times, I hope you can say there are times you've come to God's word and you've read that and you've come back revived. But that is what this word is. <clears throat> Verse 7, the latter part, says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Notice the other word is testimony. The witness of God is sure. It can be trusted. You can put your weight on it. You won't have an AFV uh, episode. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen some of those, right, where everybody's trying to stand on the porch and the porch suddenly gives away or the patio or, or the bench or whatever. You can put your weight on God's word. It can be trusted. That's what it says. The word of God makes you wise. The, the word wise is used twice. It says God's word makes you wise, wise, the simple. We know in Hebrew uh, language, the intensity shows superiority. It shows excellence. And, and God's word is trying to sh show us that this wisdom is from above. That he gives us this, this, he makes us wise, the simple. And the word for simple is also used to describe the naive, the foolish, and the open-minded. Open-minded, it caught my attention because sometimes you say, I want to be open-minded. And God's word says, no, no, you need to be Christ-minded. Because if you're Christ-minded, you cannot be open-minded to a lot of things. It makes wise the simple. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in, uh, in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It's morally right, it's spiritually right, it's right for all occasions, it's relevant to all my needs. The statutes of the Lord rejoices my heart. You see, the word statute in itself is, is, uh, gives you a picture of a restraint, right? It's holding you back. And, and the psalmist is saying, 
I, uh, you know, the word of God puts a short leash on me. I want to join with the psalmist saying, thank you, Lord, for your word that puts a short leash on me. That I'm held in restraint by you. My heart rejoices. I, I join with Robert Robinson. Uh, you, this is a familiar hymn that we sing. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God alive. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Tie it up, Lord. Let me not wander. The statutes of the Lord make, uh, they, they uh, rejoice the heart. You know, it doesn't take much to see, you know, areas of lawlessness, right? Whether you have evil laws and bad laws, or badly managed laws, to see how thankful we can be for God's laws, which are perfect. You look at stories that come out of North Korea or in Syria, some of these, uh, you know, the battering of kids. Or, or you look at pockets in, in, uh, uh, in Ferguson, in Missouri, and, and in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and things like that, where law is not, not, there's no restraint, not enforced properly. And so when God's word says, don't do that, you know it's good not to do that. It's thankful to God for that restraint. That's what the psalmist is saying. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Enlightening the eyes. The word of God is pure. It doesn't need to be diluted. It doesn't need additives. You don't need to add anything to it. It doesn't need filtration. You don't need to take anything away from it. You can use it as is. It doesn't need a supplement. You don't have to use the world's wisdom, psychology, philosophy, and uh, you know the new order New World Order concepts. It's a prescription for good health, spiritual health. Have it once a day, twice a day. Have it before meals, during meals, after meals, and have it regularly and see the difference it makes to your eyes, your spiritual eyes. It enlightens our eyes. Don't mess with God's word because God's word will mess with you if you mess with it. Because Second Peter chapter 3 verse 16 says this. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which, which the ignorant and the unstable. The ignorant and the unstable. The ignorant because we haven't read God's word and the unstable because we haven't planted our foot on the rock the Lord Jesus Christ, who take these scriptures, twist it to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. God's word is pure. It enlightens our eyes. It does a spiritual cataract surgery to our eyes. It cleanses our lens. It, it clears our brain fog. It helps us think learn, understand all about this, you know, life and godliness it talks about. 
Then verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The word fear of the Lord is another acronym, if you would, for the word of God. It is clean. It is clean and it cleans the person who handles it. Ephesians 5.26, so that he might sanctify her, which is the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, the word of God that he uses to cleanse us. It's an, it's an enduring word. The word we have in our hand is the same word that was given to people who first heard it. We, we may change, but this word doesn't change. We may hope we can change this word, but God's word is given to us so that it will change us. And therefore, the psalmist also says, Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, <clears throat> your word is settled in heaven. Then verse 9, it also says, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And so what the psalmist has done is he studied it closely. He learned it. He practiced it. And David's saying, having done all that, I can say this is righteous. This is true. And this is righteous. And he's inviting us to have the same experience that we can trust it with all our lives in everything. You're anxious, read this. If you're disturbed, if you have, you're troubled, if you, if you feel, you know, you're swamped, read this. And study it, meditate it, learn it, hide it in your heart so that you would not sin against God. We, we think we know God's word, but we live in our own template of interpretation. And we start to, to live a life on that basis. And we go so far away from what God is telling us. God's word is true. And so what's the reward? The reward in verse 10 and verse 11, more to be desired are they than gold, eh, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. You want to make some quick money? Want to make some quick gold? It's finer than, it's better than fine gold, God's word says. It makes me wiser than the, the, oh, the, uh, the, those who are old, God's word says. Uh, here's a good test to ask, what do we desire in our life? Have somebody who you know, ask them a question, saying that if you were to tell me what is the one that drives me, what's my desire, what will that be? That's a good accountability mirror to be held up. More to be desired are they than gold and than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. And moreover, moreover by them is your servant warned. God, God's word is saying it is precious than gold, it's sweeter than honey, but it's also your advanced early warning system. 
It warns us. It tells us. Remember, uh, you know, it, it, it's, but this, this weapon is only available to God's servant. It said, by them is your servant warned. The servant is only one who has a master as God himself. Scripture puts up a no trespassing sign and ignoring it is always at our peril. Remember that this is a story I heard when I was growing up about this man who got this barometer uh, through a mail order. And when he received the barometer, the, the needle of that was extreme right. And he thought, he shook it, he thought it was wrong, and he, he sent it back saying that your barometer doesn't work, not realizing it was indicating that there was this hurricane that is coming, and he gets you know, wiped out as a result. He ignored the warning, thinking there's something wrong, and he perished. But this is your servant Warn. The scripture does not cry wolf without a reason. It gives ample warning, and the warnings are always right. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. So we have said, we have said so much, but we understand this is inerrant. It's infallible. It's God-breathed. Uh, if we don't keep it, if we give ourselves excuses, there's a, there's a verse I, I suddenly forget, but it says, we either accuse or excuse, and by doing so, we do it to our own damnation. We need to keep this. In keeping of them is great reward. <clears throat> you see, in verse 11, the first half of that verse is the word keeping us, and the second part of that verse is us keeping the word. The first is the assurance, the security that God gives that God's word will secure us. And then it says, in keeping of them, there is great reward, invitation for us to keep God's word. Let me read to you what uh, a, a, a short article, studying the word we are made to see that sin is exceeding sinful since it dishonors God, makes us enemies to our best friend, which is our Lord. It, give, it drives us madly to destroy our own souls. Sin, according to God's word, is murderous. It slew the savior of men. Wherever sin comes, death follows it. Sin may hear Sin may bear, sorry, pleasure in its face, but, but it has ruin at its heel. The eternal destruction is the finishing of the work of sin. It seems very pleasant, and yet it brings ruin. So what's our response? And so as we come to verse 12, onward, we will see that the psalmist, having understood the commandments of the Lord, the word of God, he desires a complete break free from sin, any, any aspect of sin. You see, what he does is, again, he looks and, and he defines, he puts the sin in different terms, and he says, any kind, this multiple, multiple references that he gives. And that should be where we are drawn to as God reveals himself to us. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, when, when, when Isaiah saw the, the glory of God, his response was, 
was me. We see that with the psalmist. So it says, uh, verse 12 talks about discerning of errors, the errors that I commit inadvertently, the errors that overtake me. As we read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, this error in its definition is our slip is showing we don't know. The error which where we are blindsided. Then we have also that we are that we we would be hidden from uh, innocent from hidden faults innocent from hidden faults you see the word fault is provided in our text it's not there it just reads innocent of secrets that we're not practicing things behind closed doors that men might not know but it's open to god that we would be hit from that. You see, our, uh, we need to spring clean, if you would, our cupboard of its skeletons. And God's word is the one that washes us. And so the invitation. Verse 13, keeps us from presumptuous sin. These are sins of will and arrogance and pride. Presumption is defined as overstepping and assuming it's okay. Presumption is taking grace for granted. Presumption is that God will let this little sin slide because of all that I've done for him and all that I'm going through. He should be okay with this sin. That's presumption. And the psalmist is saying, deliver me from these presumptions that I make about God that I can treat sin lightly. Deliver me from presumptuous sin so that I'll be innocent of great transgression. That's rebellion against God. Uh, what, what the psalmist has done is, verse 12 down as he goes, he starts with the smaller things and he builds it up. And he covers them all and he's saying it starts small, but if I don't take care of it, it becomes huge and large and it's transgression against God. If there is anything like a small sin, that is. And so, as we read this, when we get to verse 14, we realize that a response is required. It's mandatory that we respond. Psalm 103 verse 17 to 18 says, but the steadfast love of the Lord, the love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, to do his commandments. So as I was reading this, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so as I was reading the psalm, I said to myself, what would be my response? What is it that I would ask, that I would say, Lord, this is what I want to do in response to you revealing yourself to me, 
not just saying to me that there is a God who exists, not just saying to me that those are his standards and leaving me in, in the cold that I can never achieve to reach, but that he reveals himself to me in such a special way that I can have a relationship with me, which is what, it, which is what makes this relationship, uh, this revelation, sorry, special. So what should be my response? And quickly what I want to do is I want to uh, walk through these 10 revelation, uh, responses. But if I want to invite us as, as a community of faith to please stand up. And Now you don't need to read, please stand up, but you don't need to, we're going to put that up and uh, we, we're not, I'm not going to ask you to say it aloud or, or join with me as I read this out. But I want to invite you from the bottom of your heart that if that's a response you want to, make that your prayer, make that your response for yourself. Because when we hear God's word and then we go away without a response, a commitment to respond, and then I think we are just hearers of the word and not doers of the word. And so response one is that this is desire for a clean break from every taint of sin. Response two, my my, that I will be upfront about my secret sins and desperately seek to uproot any hidden sin. You see, we tend to ask for forgiveness only because it's come into the public and we pray that even the hidden sins, because they grow roots and, and cause damage, and so we pray that even the hidden sins would be uprooted. And third... My response is that I will not presume upon God's grace, that I will not live in, uh, and sin as I may and then say sorry and then turn around and do just the same thing willfully. I will not treat grace as a foundation on which I will continue to sin, but the grace would be to me a basis of the fountain that makes me clean. I will not presume on God's grace. And the fourth is recognizing that the failings around of people around me is no excuse for my non-compliance with the word of God. It's like Peter who told the Lord, what about John? How's he going to die? The Lord says, let's deal with you. It's not about the who else, but about us. That we will be compliant with the word of God. The fifth one, that I will not be found transgressing against a holy God, that I'll put sin in its place outside of my life. Nothing to do with me. Because no one's going to make a sin till we give in. And we do. 
the sixth one. My response is that recognizing that if God is my favorite author, then I will read his book. I will study it, meditate it. It's like the love letter that God has written to me and no one else. Not just read the word, but keep it. For I learned today that in keeping of them, there is great reward. The seventh one. My response is understanding that opposite of great reward is great loss and that I'm the loser if I don't live according to his holy word. Verse 8, that the eighth response is in knowing that temptation, the land and the branches of my minds can soon build nests in my heart. So I will shoo away distractions. I will take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I will have the mind of Christ in serving and in treating and kindness. Just what Christ is so will my mind be. Ninth one is that my response is I will not give a foothold to sin because I know once I give a little, an, an inch, like the camel who took the tent, the sin will, will make a stronghold in my life. And the tenth one is that I will not be responsible to trip up someone else with my sin. You know, the Bible says, if I cause someone else to stumble or others to go astray with, this, with sinful advice or to join in the celebration of their sin, it is better for me to put a millstone around my neck and jump into the sea. God is... is um, holds that very seriously. So, Lord, we pray for all of us, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, the psalmist, having seen through the entire creation, he looks at the scripture and you reveal yourself to him, my rock and my redeemer. You are not just the rock. If you were just the rock and not our redeemer, we would be so helpless and so lost. If you are our redeemer but not our rock, we would be in the same situation. But you're my rock and my redeemer. Oh, as I see the vast heavens, I see the, the heavens declare the glories of God. And the firmament is handiwork. We want to say with the psalmist, and for each one of us, that as people look at us, look at you, look at me, and look at this community of faith, they will be able to glorify God for the work that has happened in our lives as we were reminding ourselves previously who we were and what we are. Not just the privilege, but in the change. We, we will drop those excuses of saying that this is who I am and move on to become what I am in Christ. The new creation. 
my strength and my redeemer. For the reminder that your word is your word breathed, infallible word, the, the, the word that converts our soul. And just as we have understood, in keeping of them is great reward. reward. And may that be true of all of us this, this afternoon here. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen.